0: Broadband, internet service providers,
1: in real simple syndication are proud to bring you Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. That is Jordan. And that over there is Carlin. Thank you for joining us once again. Uh, today we're going to do a movie that is a fan pick, and this was one that actually was bumped to the top of our list because Johnny Grove was so gracious as to give us a nice review and rating on itunes
0: right if you remember correctly we mentioned a few episodes ago that if uh, you leave a review for us on itunes also if you leave a review for us on any like uh podcast websites or other review forums or if you write a blog post about what we're doing or something like that go ahead and shoot us an email let us know about it And uh, go ahead and give us a movie selection, and we'll be more than glad to make sure that that goes to the top of the list.
1: But just make sure it is on Netflix streaming at that point, because then we'll be able to watch it. If it's not on Netflix streaming, we can't watch it. But if you have other suggestions you want us to just put on the list and see if it comes on Mm to Netflix streaming at some point, we can do that. Yeah,
0: we do. do. We're not that discriminating. Write down any movie that you want. Um, make sure if there's at least one on Netflix if there's not one if you don't have Netflix and you're not sure about it go ahead and contact us let us know we'll be more than glad to look it up for you and let you know if we'll be able to do it but anyway we're going to go ahead and talk today about Johnny Selection which is one of I know Carlin really enjoys this movie because every time we record I look at the, the poster he has hanging
1: up for it yeah the Boondock Saints the it Boondock the Saints film. it's a 1999 offering
0: Right? And just reading off of the poster here, it came out from Franchise Pictures um, and brought Brood Syndicate Productions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Brood Syndicate may actually be some sort of company of Troy Duffy's. Yeah. The guy who wrote and directed it. Right. Yeah. Troy Duffy did write and direct it. Let's go ahead and and take a look at the Netflix
0: summary. Uh, Sensing a God given mission to clean the earth of all evil twin brothers connor and murphy set out to rid boston of crime and like you said uh it was directed by troy duffy and it was released in 1999 did this one actually go to theaters as like even a limited release run or was it just straight to dvd
1: i think it was straight to dvd i may be wrong on that but i'm pretty sure it was straight to dvd troy duffy this, this is pretty much all he's done. He did right. uh, Boondock Saints and then, after a long hiatus, was able to do Boondock Saints 2, Yeah, um, which I have not seen, I hear, is not nearly as good as the first one, which that, is yeah. usually the case. But apparently he's tied right now to a TV series that's going to be coming out in 2015 called Luminous. Yes. Um, no idea what that's going to be about, but it's good to see that he's got something else in the works because, honestly... I think he's a good writer and, well, I mean, I'm basing this just on Boonock Saints, but he did a really good job writing that script, I feel, and he did a really good job with the directing, too. He Mm -hmm. made some really interesting choices, and they were awesome choices that kept you engaged in the film yeah and i'm sure we're going to be talking about those quite a bit as yeah. we go on let's go ahead and discuss the
0: actors that were in the film at least the, the 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 triumvirate of the uh important ones right there we have sean patrick flannery as connor mcmanus um he's one of the twin brothers he was in a uh, he's been in a few different things he was in uh, the TV show that aired for a while, The Adventures of Young Indiana Jones. Yes, that was an awesome show! I never really got to watch the show too much, but I remember reading a lot of the novelizations from the okay. TV series,
1: and I really enjoyed
0: those. So. I
1: thought that the show was really good, and I believe when they first started that show, Rivers Phoenix was uh, Young Indiana Jones, and then right. he died, so yep. then they had Sean Patrick Flannery take over. Mm,
0: so Interesting, I did not know that. Yeah, He was also in a film that David Duchovny did not too long ago I haven't seen this one yet but it's on my personal list it's a submarine film called Phantom okay. um, I haven't seen it no it's it's streaming on Netflix so we might actually
1: have it pop up here on the review stride and as I said in a previous podcast Sean Patrick Flannery was in Suicide Kings which I think is a quite a good film he was also in the Devil's Carnival. Yes, which eh. which is interesting. So, okay,
0: it wasn't that the same people who did the uh, Repo, the Genetic
1: Opera. Yeah, Repo, Genetic Opera this is Darren Lynn Bozeman, who also did uh, directed a few of the Saw films. Mm-hmm. Um, I applaud his want to do more of like musical like dark musicals right um that's cool and i thought repo was pretty good not phenomenal but pretty good for what it was it was good yeah and then he followed up with dark carnival dark carnival is meh um it's worth seeing once i'd say if you're interested in that kind of stuff they're are maybe two good songs in Devil's Carnival, whereas Repo Genetic Opera has quite a few good songs. Didn't
0: you say that, like, the the best song from the Devil's Carnival was, like, the end credits song? Yes, it's the end credits.
1: And they they shot, like, an actual scene for it. Um, And I was just like, why was this not in the actual film? But, oh well. You know, they make their own choices. Yeah, another actor that was involved with the Boondock
0: Saints is Norman Reedus as Murphy McManus. He... Has had a pretty big explosion
1: in his career because he plays Daryl on The Walking Dead. Yes, which um, just recently they said uh, is, it's going to be canceled. Walking really? Dead is yeah. I think they canceled season. I don't know what season season six, is it? I don't know. I think that's the one they're canceling it. So oh well, say oh, well.
0: C'est say vie. It's a popular show. It's a popular comic book series. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the first season. It didn't grab my attention. Um, like it did the rest of Nerddom, but uh, I do know that it is a very popular show, especially if you like your your slow-walking zombies. Yep. Uh, he was also in Mimic, uh, which is
1: an interesting science fiction movie, and Let the Devil Wear Black. And he was also in Blade 2, if anybody likes any of the Blade films. Yes. That's what I remember him most from. Um, uh, just to mention their
0: sidekick, Rocco, um... His name is Rocco. His name is Rocco. David della Rocco. And um, he's not known for a lot else outside of the Boondock Saints. He was in the Boondock Saints too. um, But he was also
1: in a movie called Dead in Five Heartbeats. And then another one called The Black Dove. If he's in the second one, is it like a flashback? It's got to be. It's got to be because he was. Or some sort of like alternate reality because he's dead in the first one he
0: might well he might be just playing a different character too
1: that's yeah, possible um or maybe he didn't actually die i don't know i i, I maybe don't they know I mean, some sort of stunt and be like
0: oh he didn't really die I a know. sucking gun wound to the chest is pretty pretty final in a i mean
1: you would places. think but I, I, you never
0: know I, what what filmmakers are doing. right exactly uh, and then the the big one, the guy who is, I guess you could say, the uh, the the A list name for this particular.
1: Go ahead, project. say it. Say it. Willem Dafoe. Oh yes, Willem Dafoe is a delight in this film. I think pretty much everyone does a good job, in the film. but his performance really carries it. He he is the most interesting character by far. He's very very compelling. He's very out there. You know, like he he's a very unique character in my opinion. I'd never seen a character like him when I originally saw the film. Yeah. Yeah. And, well, man,
0: I, I awesome. think, I think he, his character was probably one of the, f- looking at it now, I'm not sure you can necessarily call the character a, a positive portrayal of a homosexual professional. No, he's a, um,
1: self-loathing homosexual. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Um, but but he he is a very interesting character, and it, it, it's really interesting. The character's name, by the way, is Paul Smecker. Willem Dafoe is known for a lot of other really famous movies. Um, he was in uh, the Tom Clancy novelization, or the novelist, the movie version of the novel Clear and Present Danger, which also star, starred Harrison Ford, mm-hmm. um, it, which was a good movie. The book dragged a little bit, honestly, but uh, it was good. Um, the English Patient was another one of his films. And then one that both Carlin and I have seen, and and I don't know if enjoy is the proper word for this film, but respect, uh, American Psycho.
1: Yeah. Um, and actually, Boondock Saints came out right before he did his work on American Psycho, which I am a fan of that film. And it came out the same year as his work in the film Existence, mm-hmm. which if no one's seen that, I'm a big fan of Existence because... I like um, David Cronenberg, and it's right. a Cronenberg film, and it's really odd if you know Cronenberg, um, but it's really cool, and he plays not a big role in it, but a good role. Yeah. Um, that also has uh, Jude Law and Jennifer Jason Leigh in it. So, so plug that real fast. So
0: a lot of a lot of interesting stuff going on there with the characters and the and, uh, and the actors and everything like that. Let's go ahead and start talking about the movie.
1: Well, first of all, Troy Duffy was working at a bar. He was in. He wanted to get into film, I believe, and he moved out to California. And he was working in a bar as I think a bouncer actually. And he was living in a not so great neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And what prompted him to start writing the script for Boondock Saints was one of his neighbors was murdered. Oh, really? Yeah. He came home and you know they were basically like being taken out. on a gurney um so he had a neighbor murdered and that enraged him and he was kind of like you know there's so many people that do nothing about the scumbags in the you know on the face of our earth so he started writing you know the boondock saints as his kind of take on what vigilanteism is and i don't know if it's necessarily his thought on what it should be but i could definitely see it as being um cathartic for him to write it down to get out his anger especially if he, he was in a, a position where he
0: was really upset about what had happened to, mm-hmm. to a neighbor yeah um, that was one of the things is that the movie did seem to have a very cathartic quality about it yes um
1: and i think it was i think it's also to to really indulge audiences to be like you know you're sick and tired of these scumbags getting away with just living you know and in this case it's the the italian and the russian mafia you know they're allowed to do their dealings and the the police aren't doing enough to stop them so it's just quicker and easier and more you know revenge satisfying to see them slaughtered
0: and it's interesting that there are the racial overtones of it because the two characters who decide to become vigilantes are are not Italian or Russian but they're Irish, Irish. Yeah. you know so you have that interesting dynamic and of course Boston is famous for its Italian and Irish dynamic uh, it, It's something that that is uh, I guess the city's a little famous for actually Oh very very so. much so
1: you know you got um you got all the time when when you see things referring to Boston. There's always four leaf clovers and stuff. It's very it's very right. Irish leaning. Right, definitely. Um, some other interesting things that I found out um, through doing a little bit of research: the film actually made fifty million dollars, but Pat or uh, Troy Duffy. I was gonna say Patrick Duffy. Oh my God,
0: <laughs> very different there. Yes, it's very Duffy.
1: different. Uh, anyway, Troy Duffy and the cast of the film didn't see any of that money because of the contract that they had signed with the studio. With franchise uh, franchise pictures. Yeah. So they got none. They didn't get any of that money. So, you know, Troy Duffy makes this film, writes and directs this outstanding film, makes $50 million. People probably assume that since it did so well... He that was he, rolling in money. Yeah, that he's a rich guy. Not the case. He didn't get any cut of that, really. So... Uh, but if anybody wants to know, you know, kind of the full backstory, there is a documentary about that. I haven't seen it. I've been wanting to see it, and it is currently not on Netflix streaming. But I hope someday it is. It's called Off the Boulevard.
0: Yeah, that he did direct that himself, didn't he? That was I think so. one of
1: his other works that he did. Yeah. So I, I guess it's his kind of uh, story of saying, "Hey, look, you know, I uh, I got screwed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's my
0: story." But, well, it, and that's interesting that he chose to go back to the media of film to tell the story of how he was screwed by the film industry. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Uh, but I guess if you, if you know well, what medium you work well in, then that's the one that you're going to use.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you have a passion for it, which it definitely seems like he does, you know, that's what, what you're up to. Also, uh, interesting to point out that Troy Duffy is in the film. Mm-hmm. Small part uh, in the beginning where there's that bar fight, the very first bar fight that happens. Um, Troy Duffy is there. He's, I think he's wearing overalls, and he's got like a bald head, yeah, and some yeah, facial yeah. hair. Yeah,
0: I, I was, I was when I was watching it again because uh, I've seen the movie previously. When I was watching it again uh, for the review, I'm like, what is this
1: dude in overalls doing in the middle of the, uh, of the bar? It doesn't. He looked like he would fit in there. Right, he's very much just there for no reason. Right, which is just kind of like, hey, here's your director writer.
0: Yeah, he must have been. He must have been on this stri- on the set and is like. Oh, you know what? I want to take part in this fight. I'm going to be a part of it. So he just like jumps in or something like that.
1: Oh, also uh, an actor that we did not uh, touch on. the El um, Duche. Well, oh, okay. Well, that is another one. El Duche. But I was going to go with the bartender yeah. slash um, guy with Tourette's. Yes, he was hilarious. Uh, yeah, great character, great comedy relief. But what I wanted to say about him is, did you recognize him at all from anything else? I mean, he looks familiar, right? He does look familiar, but I I was a little tired when I watched the movie. He was in the show, The Fraggles. Really? Yes, he was the owner of that dog, in the Fraggles. Oh, like the one, like that, the um, the Fraggles, like Fraggles would like inhabit yeah. areas of the house from time to yeah, time, yeah, yeah. and he was unaware that they were there. And yeah, that that's him. That's that guy. That's messed up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he goes from a very kid-oriented show to The duck Saints, Saints and he's playing guy with Tourette's, just yelling, you know, all sorts of yeah. expletives which, constantly, which
0: is hilarious. When he starts, um, he goes into a Catholic hospital to to see the McManus brothers, and um, he has a,
1: a um, an outbreak of Tourette's yeah. in front of some nuns. Yeah, yeah, that is a pretty funny moment. Um, but I also thought it was really funny when. David Delarocco was just basically like, man, we gotta get you, like, a pro proverb book or something. Yeah,
0: because he's, like, always mixing his his his, um, his wise sayings, like, uh, don't count your chickens before they cross the road.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or, um, my favorite one, though, profanity coming up, sorry, is, um, why don't you make, like, a tree and get the fuck out of here? I thought that was crazy. I've actually heard a lot of
0: people say that one. Like, so I it just goes to show how Boondock Saints has, has been influential in the culture.
1: Oh, and another great one was people in glass houses sink ships.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. It's like, um, let me just process that for a second. Yeah. Which is hilarious because all, all of his customers are sitting there going, what are you talking about? But, the, I mean, the whole reason that this, this vigilanteism that the McMinnis brothers start off on, they're considered to be model citizens in society. Um, they, they go to church on a regular basis they work in the meat packing plants um, they're very they're very upright citizens and everything like that The reason that they start is because the bartenders bar they're there for the last night and they don't realize it's the last night because the Russian mob is rolling in and making him close down
1: yeah and it's this moment of I mean you see them trying to basically defuse the situation right. they're just trying to be like yo, can we all get along here? Let's all have a drink together. It's all good. But, you know, mafia people being mafia people, they're not going to listen to They're not going
0: to not gonna listen to that. So it, so it quickly escalates and winds up with um, someone's
1: pants getting torched. Yeah. Well, it really what happens is they, they have no intention of, of killing anyone. Right. But they end up being forced into doing it because these guys are going to kill them. Right. And it's kind of the only way. Uh, it's, it is self-defense. It is. It um, is.
0: At, at the very first, it is self-defense. Right. And then they decide, hey, and you know what? Like, this, well, is, this is
1: fun. Yeah, this is fun. And it's kind of a good idea to get rid of all the scum. And um, I, I don't know if they would have taken it any further if they hadn't
0: picked up the pager of one of the mafiosos and got the, um, the call saying that a big Russian boss is flying in from Moscow to go ahead and uh, to meet with the local Boston gangs and to make sure they're all squared away. I love, by the way, I love the little detail um, of the Russian gangster's gun where when he points it at um, one of the brothers' heads, you can see the the sickle and hammer of the uh. Soviet logo like underneath the barrel on the actual gun. So it's like, it's like right in his face. Like, yeah. I'm Soviet and I'm going to blow your head off. Yeah, which is a funny little detail, but nothing
1: really, nothing really significant to the film. Um, but one of the things that's from the get go in the film, they they establish who the brothers are as people yeah. because they just kind of show them like screwing around at work at their at the packing plant, meat packing plant, and they show them going to church and you know the, and then they're having drinks and they're just like they're they, normal guys. Right. They're they're minding their own business. They're just eking by living wise. Yeah. Um, but they're happy and they're brothers and they're just they're they're happy people and they're just fine with doing what they're doing. It actually looks like they're squatting yeah. in their in yeah. their they house. They definitely are. Because at one point they say that they're there are no like actual like registered tenants not supposed to be there. Right. Um but in the very beginning they are in church and there's a very strong statement made about Basically setting it up for saying this is going to be about vigilantism because uh, there's a preacher talking about uh, the indifference of good men. Yeah. And he said that's the biggest issue in, in the world. Uh, and he gives this long story about someone who was raped, I think. I believe so, yes. yeah. Yeah, uh, and there were people who saw it happen and did nothing about it. Um, so you then see like the brothers go up to the, to the altar, and then they end up leaving. And it, it's very... It's a very clear foreshadowing of what's going to come. Well,
0: honestly, it wasn't really... It, it was kind of a loop around, because um, this was a moment after they've decided to become vigilantes. Mm-hmm. You know, and so... I'm not sure if it was supposed to take place before they, they go in the, like one of the sequences of the movie to do it, or if this was supposed to be like a scene setting up... These are who these people are now, now we're going to tell you the story of how they
1: got there. Yeah, that's not clear. It's not but, clear at all. But at any rate, no matter what it is, it still works. It
0: still works. Well, it, do, it does a great job of setting up what the characters are going to do, who they're about, and pretty much what their main drive is. Because, like the Netflix summary says, they see um, that they have a religious mandate to go ahead and do this. Um, and also, that, that's, that's an interesting tie-in because when you think about it, um, that these characters, from the way that they're portrayed, the characters are are recent emigrants to the United
1: States from Ireland. Right. They still have accents. Yes. You know they're very, um, very much into their into their culture. Right. Um, they're very much into religion too, and that's a theme that carries well into the movie. It's it's all throughout the movie. Yeah. When they before they kill people, they do a prayer. Mm-hmm. Um. Not only that, but there seems to be a. Aspect of divine intervention within the film. Yes. At a few moments. Yeah. Well, Um, and also like God's protecting them because they're supposed to be vigilantes doing God's work.
0: There's also this thing where um, when they go up to to pray and kiss the the feet of the crucifix, um, it it very much is implied that they are about to go do the work of murder. Mm -hmm. Um, That they're they're about to go do perform an act of vigilanteism. So so. It's kind of seen that, at least in their area, the Catholic Church is, has given them a tacit approval. Not necessarily uh, something that is spoken of automatically. But it, it's the, everybody in the congregation seems to know exactly who they are, what they're doing, and they're okay with it. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Um, which I thought was an interesting thing because, you know, you, you have the the whole... Um, I'm, and I, I wondered about this. You have this whole tie-in with the Irish culture, with their the fight between the Protestants and the Catholics. You know, and ha- it looks like at one point they go to a an IRA headquarters yeah. in in Boston to and pick out
1: goodies. Yeah, to, to tons to of guns. Basically, stuff. go hunt, uh, go go shopping for for equipment and rope, which I kind of didn't understand. I think they just gave them like two two pistols and then they're like take whatever you want. It's kind of weird.
0: I think it was because they showed they gave up the evidence that they had that they had killed the Russian guys.
1: Oh, okay. Because so it was it kind was, of saying... it was
0: like look, we're getting we're we're here to clean up the the streets and they probably said, well, shut prove it and they pull out the the ga- the gangsters guns that have oh, okay. those actual like Soviet symbols on them and then they give them the money and they give them Um, like the gold uh, lighter that was in the guy's pocket. So they're giving him the the effects, not only monetary things, but also symbolic gestures showing this is what we've done so far, but we need the help of, of the IRA to continue further. Okay. So
1: at least that's what I got from that. No, that totally makes sense to me. It does. One of the things I really, really liked that they did in this film was they would have the police and FBI show up at a crime scene and then, while they're going through what happened, they do the flashback to show what actually happened. Yes, I loved that technique in this film. It works ridiculously well. It does.
0: Another technique that works really well with the film is that it, the, the whole film is shot in a vignette style. They don't show it all chronologically going through. True. But they set it up with individual, not necessarily acts, but little vignettes.
1: That, yeah, that little Pulp Fiction, yeah,
0: the, and it comes together as one movie and it tells one story. But it, it ha, I always I liked the the fade to black fade back to the to the next scene. I thought that worked really well for the story and did a great job of telling you whose perspective you're watching the, watching from at this point and everything like that. Because it does switch, it does switch between. You, know, you um, get
1: um, the brothers. You get David Delarocco. You get um, uh, Agent Smekker. Yes. And I think that's it. Um, you might get
0: one or two of the the. No, no, because you see all the gangster scenes, like um, with what was his name, Big Joe. Oh, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, Joe Yakavetta. Yeah, yeah. You see his scenes through Rocco's perspective. Yes. Yep. Um, oh, and one thing I forgot to say earlier is that Ron Jeremy's in this film. Very famous porn star Ron Jeremy, and I'll be honest, I don't think he does a bad job. No, no, I mean for what he was supposed to do, which is, you know, enjoy porn. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> but he did. He did actually do some acting. No, no, no And no, no, it no. was not bad. No. He could. Um, he could have been much worse. Much worse. Yeah,
0: but uh, for for a greasy mob guy, he he fit in pretty well.
1: Oh yeah, he looked the
0: part. Oh, like. he did. He, he, he did. really looked the part. Um. So that was a lot of fun. I, I did want to talk a little bit about the character of Smekers, you know, because we mentioned that he's a character who is a homosexual, mm-hmm. who is actually fairly self-loathing of the fact that he's a homosexual. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's really interesting because he goes into a, a gay bar at one point. You see, a, you see a little bit more of his life than you do of the other characters. True. Um, and he's in a gay bar at one point, and he, um, he gets the bartender to get him a drink, and then he calls this guy a a pretty offensive slur
1: yeah he he does it at another time too to someone yeah. else who's gay yeah um so yeah, I mean that obviously shows that that he's self loathing it's it's weird because it's like his characters he knows he's gay and he is gay and he acts as such, but he also scorns others for being that way so yeah. he doesn't really look at himself as part of that community at all
0: i'm wondering if it's a like if the and again we're two heterosexual white males sitting here talking about
1: a gay character so so we're just making so we're, suppositions right
0: exactly but is he a, is he a character who sees himself as better than other homosexual characters or does he do you get the sense that he's hating
1: on himself as well I think he, as a person in the film, I think he indulges himself. How he views it yeah. is that he's indulging himself in his homosexual tendencies, mm-hmm. but that's not who he thinks he is. Yeah, um, he's really denying himself, denying who he truly is, and I think part of that has to do with look at his profession. You know, it's a very right. manly profession, and at work, especially, you see, he has to be very. On the ball, he has to be very manly, very assertive. So he does that. Yeah. And so he he hides who he truly is, and I think that really bleeds over into his personal life and him having problems with coming to terms with the fact right. that he is gay. So he, you know, it's kind of like he just looks at it as kind of like falling off the wagon or like this is just something I do sometimes right. and then forget about it. It never happened. Right, right.
0: And, and well, it seems to be like, Almost a stress relief type of thing for him. Right. Yeah. Like, especially, like, when the case is getting really hard. And the interesting thing is that you see him at one point that he's been sleeping with an, an, another fellow. Mm-hmm. And um, he treats that guy in a very derisive and... Oh, awful. In a very awful way. Like, um, the guy wants to, to you know... Get close to him and and be with him and everything like that, and he takes this work phone call in the middle of the night, which obviously has to happen
1: when you're when you're in law enforcement. The job is never done. I'll also point out that it happens in pretty much every law enforcement based film, right? Exactly. Like you always have that obligatory scene where they're sleeping and then oh, they get the call in the middle of the night. It's a kind of
0: stereotype, yeah, Yeah,
1: very much. Uh,
0: But. He does, he does, like, go away. But he, like, pushes
1: the guy away, and he, he's very... He actually slaps him a few yeah. times on the top of the head. Yeah. Because he's trying to cuddle with him. Right. And this is... That was him... And he, he makes a comment. It's it just, like, basically saying, like, I don't want to cuddle. That's that's gay. Yeah. You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like, there he is. He's, he's just u- using that guy... Right. ...as a vessel for sex. Yeah. That's it. And then he's just, like, you know, that's not me. Like... Yeah. I'm done with you, get out of right. my, my personal life and
0: this, this aspect of myself are completely separate, um, which probably leads to why he's so interested in the vigilantes, uh, because the McManus brothers completely embrace the fact that they are these upstanding, religious, um, hardworking people, but they also, they can work that into the fact that they can go, that they feel like they can go out and kill people right. they they mesh both aspects of their personality and they don't see any conflict with themselves right because
1: of it yeah and um he starts to i mean obviously really feel for them and understand what they go through and and their thought on things and obviously you know from watching the film you, you realize that he gets to a point where he becomes in league with them yeah. because he believes in what they're doing, um, but I will say that throughout the film you just see a slow unraveling of Smecker. You know, he he starts off like very well put together and yeah. very calm and cool and collected. And if you notice throughout the scenes, he slowly and slowly becomes like a little bit looser. He's smoking more. He's starting to look a little more disheveled. Yeah,
0: and like he he basically. As he goes through a crime scene, one of one of my favorite attributes of Smicker is that he
1: likes to listen to classical music while he's working, and that's like one of the intros to yes. his character, which is phenomenal because he comes into the very first crime scene and he puts in you know like an iPod that he's listening to. He puts his gloves on and he's like conducting yeah. and and like kind of like dancing around almost to this classical music while he's looking at all the aspects of yeah. the crime scene and taking it in and analyzing it. And it's a very fluid scene.
0: Yeah. It's beautiful. It's well shot. The cinematography there is fantastic. The yeah. choice of music was, was perfect for what the character was doing, too, in terms of his physical movements and everything like that. Um, and it was, it was a piece of opera. Um, which Def- Defoe acts it out very yes. well, yeah, very well. Um, if he had not, if they had given it to a character of lesser quality, an actor of lesser quality, mm-hmm. then Smekers as a character would not have come across as likable at all, and in yeah. fact would fall apart very easily. I um, agree with that. But you know, he he's directing the music, and when he when he's first in the first part of the film, when he's doing the first analysis of the um the public crime scene um he's very his his movements are very controlled he's very he's into the music but he's not letting it overwhelm him but as the film progresses and as he looks at their other crime scenes He becomes looser in his movements. He actually, at one point, ditches the music, the external music, completely, and starts directing a a score that he is hearing only in his head.
1: And that's the one that's shown on the uh, on my poster. Is that what you're talking about? No, I'm
0: talking about the very last one where his arms, Uh where he's sweeping his arms throughout the whole scene. His shirt is halfway unbuttoned and it's untucked. Um, his tie is is very loose and the, the knot is like down around his chest. Oh,
1: I think that's the same scene, the one at where the guys are uh, hanging out and they were playing pool and then the Yeah, um, that that is the scene the of Vigilante's come pool. in and shoot it up and then there's the fight outside against Il Duce. Right. Yes. And he that's when he's like totally unraveled right. pretty much. Right. That's
0: yes. But that scene on the poster where it's the two brothers and then him lined up that, I... It's phenomenal. That, that, yeah. Is that from there or was that yes. from... Yep. Okay. Because I was thinking that was from the scene where they killed the, the, the
1: Russian mafioso. No, that's the where they killed the, uh, the hitman, uh, that David Del Rocco, yeah. uh, said was just, like, the sickest person he's ever met because he would kill women and children as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Because El Duce won't. That's yeah. the thing they make clear about El Duce is that he will not kill women or children.
0: Yeah, and El Duce is kind of seen as the the Irish, I guess you could say the Irish euthanizer, like putting down the ones that the the, yeah. the criminals that no one else will, would want to
1: associate with. His essential job is to be the vigilante for the criminals. You know, and this this brings up a weird thing for me. It, it's if you're killing someone, you're killing someone. Right. You know what I mean? And so yeah. if if you're killing women or you're killing children or you're killing men, full-grown men like you're still killing, no matter what you're doing. Um, I don't think it makes it any worse in any instance. Killing is killing, right? Unless it's it's some sort of situation where, like the the uh, saints are in in the beginning, is self defense is self defense exactly. Yes. Like they, they have no choice; it's kill or be killed, right? Um, that's one situation, but I'm talking from the standpoint of like the hitmen. Yes, you know it's kind of like they're just gonna kill people no matter what.
0: Well, and, and this is the thing about vigilanteism that really that really gets a lot of people and um, makes like superhero movies and movies like the Boondock Saints implausible, is right. that you have these characters who are in essence trying to uphold the law by breaking the law. Yeah. And especially characters like the Boondock Saints and the Punisher and other, other vigilantes who are willing to kill for what they're going to do. It, they're no different from the criminals that they're trying to put down. They're just doing it because they believe that they have the right purpose. And that was right. one of the things that I got that I, I really disliked about the movie in general was the religious aspect to their belief in
1: that they can kill. Well, because it's kind of insinuated that this is God's will. Right. Is is them going around and killing these mafiosos. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, that's strong. You know, if anyone has watched the film and didn't pick up on that, yeah, you need to watch it again. Watch and it Just again. open your eyes this time, because it is so there.
0: Another thing about it is, though, um, there's this sense that, you know, we, we, we live in the post-911 era, and I know that that we've talked about 9-11 on the podcast before. Um, I guess we were both in college when it happened, so it is something of a touchstone for us. But you live in an era that has been defined by religious violence. Right. right? And and so you watch this movie with that religious violence is something that everybody knows about and everybody is uncomfortable with. And, you know, it kind of puts the movie in a different light now than it did in 1999 when right. it came out, um, so the the film doesn't hold up in that regard as well as I think it could, um, but again everybody has a motivation for what they do, how they live their life. There's a motivation to everybody's story, you know. So some people are are obviously very defined by their religious beliefs. Other people are very defined by things that have happened to them, you know. So it, it it just comes across as some something that is hard to digest in today's modern society that we're rooting for characters who have a tendency towards violence that's that's fueled by their religious beliefs and it doesn't matter whether or not you agree with their religious beliefs or not the fact that they're committing violence in the name in of. the name of a religion is something that is is very hard for me to personally digest and that, but that's, that's been going on for a long time, I mean, though. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's history. Yeah, violence because of religion is something that happens, that has happened since
1: a man figured out how to pick up a rock. Well, since religion started, really. You know, because then people decided, hey, you know, this is something I can fight over. Right, right. Well, and, and again, it, it comes down to the fear of the other. Yeah. You know. Which it, is rampant. Yes, it's and always has been, and always will be. Absolutely. In my opinion, and that's well, what sucks. Well, it, it's
0: part of human nature. And it's not a good part of human nature. No, it's the worst part, honestly.
1: Yeah. But anyway, back to the film. Um, we were talking about the scene where, where Smecker comes most unraveled. Yes. And it's this... Up until this point, you keep seeing it where he's looking at the crime scene, and then they do the flashback and show you what happened. Um, and for this one, though... He, he becomes part of yeah the he's action. part of it. he's actually there when it's happening so it takes those two moments of crime scene analysis and the crime and it actually happening and meshes it together into one scene and it's awesome yeah. it is so well done like especially the moment where you know the bro- the saints and David delarocco are, are standing there shooting all these guys in the room yeah and then they pan over and there's Smecker standing there with his hands as guns, shooting with them in slow motion like yeah. he's doing it, Yeah, it's phenomenal. Also, it's a good foreshadowing that he's going to join them. Yeah, Because there he is lined up with them, partaking in their actions, miming what they're doing.
0: And the thing about that image too, is how we've been talking about how he was unwinding and becoming more unraveled as that scene goes along. When he starts this action of miming the shots he's all still tight and dressed and everything like that he's he's still not surrendered to who he is to who he wants to be right so then he moves after this point he starts moving into this to the scenes of undress and if you look at it clothing the way that i view clothing is that it is um symbolistic of us trying to be secure Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of ways especially when it's used in film because the way that somebody dresses shows how they feel about themselves right. what they want other people to see and what they want other people not to see you know, and so these characters the two brothers are wearing a mask and they're, they're wearing peacocks, peacoats and gloves I always thought it was interesting that even though they're, they're in the middle of a gang war shootout they're using silencers on the guns which yeah. I I don't know maybe maybe they would not maybe they wouldn't but then you have you have Defoe's character Smeckers, and he's w- wearing a three piece business suit looking very sharp but he then exposes himself to what he actually believes and who he actually yeah. is as the scene moves on and there's this great moment at the end where he finishes laying out the crime scene and describing it and orchestrating it and even though his his shirt is disheveled and you know his hair is wild and everything like that he grabs the the knot of his tie and he just slides it up like that's going to solve all his problems right. and and make him into a presentable person
1: once more which is much like how he internalizes his homosexual tendencies is he gets caught in the moment and it gets he gets away from him mm-hmm. and then he kind of like comes to and you know and then draws straightens the up his tie.
0: But I love the fact that he leaves his shirt half unbuttoned while he's, like, right, straightening right, his right.
1: tie up. Which yeah. is, is also showing that people can tell. Yes. You know, like, people know he's actually gay, and, but he's trying so hard to hide yeah. it.
0: And, and I'm going I'm going to use a slur here because it's a quote from the movie. Mm-hmm. But um, there's the scene where the, they've killed... The Russian mafiosi has been killed in the hotel room. And... Um, the the cops are there the boston police department is not shown in a very positive light at all in this movie no
1: this is another one of those films that's like police stupid fbi smart right that's a lot of films yes that do that
0: yeah um so so smekers arrives on the scene uh and the police department is is telling him well this is what we think happened because of x y and z and they the um the 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 syndicate boss is lying in the middle of the floor there. I think he's actually credited in the film as the fat man, because um, yeah, like, he is much larger. Than right, larger. right, right. But one of the cops actually describes him to William Defoe's to Smekker, as the fat man. Yes. And so Smekker jumps on that. He's like, "What did you say?" And, and he said, uh, "What did he say?"
1: Is he he, he says
0: it was a real Freudian slip. Yeah, he thing. said
1: Freud was was right or something. Yeah. 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 Very yeah very interesting um, but I actually I wanted to say something more about the the scene where he totally comes undone yeah um he when he's just like a mess, his hair's all messed up, his shirt's um like all open, and his ties all askew, and he's like sweating yeah he it, it's a very recognizable moment, and a lot of people remember it. Um, because that's when behind him, like the firefights going on between the saints and David Del Rocco and Il Duce. Mm -hmm. And things are just like, like gunshots are going off and things are, you know, like dust is coming up from bullet holes being created. and you know, it's chaos and there's blood flying and stuff. Right. And, um, there he is and he's doing his thing and he's like, there
0: was a (laughs) firefight.
1: Yeah. And it's like, like, he's, that's so iconic. Yeah. Very iconic with the film. Um, but the other thing that happens is he actually pulls out his service weapon and discharges it into the air, which when I'm watching that I was kind of like whoa, whoa, whoa. That's kind of a an issue in the film because reality-wise, there's no way, A, I don't think there's any way he would do it, but B, if he unravelled so much that he did do it, he'd be in really deep deep trouble. Yeah,
0: I think I think he at that point would be talking to a police therapist. <laughs> for quite a serious amount of time and probably would have had his badge and gun taken away from him until, until he had, quote-unquote, and this is a horrible phrase to use in the context of the character, straightened out, right. you know? Right. Um, but also one thing that, that you see from him is that it's something that he can't help himself, that he gets so into it that he just loses all control. Um, Which I think we've we've covered pretty well. I wanted to talk a little bit about El Duce. Mm -hmm. Billy Connolly is the actor. Yeah. um, And he's been in a a, a bunch of really good stuff and is a pretty famous actor. But his relationship to the brothers, to the McManus brothers. His dad. Their dad. Yeah. But they don't make it clear about that. It it kind of felt a little disjointed to me.
1: I hated the way they revealed that. I thought it was very forced and it just didn't play well for me.
0: Uh it was just like oh we want to we want to throw in another gunfight and we want to have some kind of gloss of justification to it.
1: I like where it led um, because it ends the film in a very awesome like well done way mm-hmm. but the way they discovered that like this is their dad was really kind of stupid and it, it just didn't make sense to me. It really didn't. It didn't yeah. play well at all. There are Small issues in the film, like you know the discharging of the of the weapon, and you're just like, well, that would not be realistic at all and right you know the way that the bigger issue is the way that this scene just didn't play well right. with you know Billy Connolly's character recognizing those are his kids um, and then something really small, but I did notice uh, in the beginning during the uh, bar fight scene, David Delarocco Rocco is um, talking. Smack to the to the mafiosos, right? And the, one of them punches him, but if you watch the scene when he gets punched, he's still talking, yeah, and he's talking normally, so it's very unrealistic. Like they screwed up right there, yeah. but that's just well.
0: I point. mean, again, first f- first film directors' problems, you know, you know, little things like that is going to be something that you see uh, through the film on a regular basis. Uh, I think I think one thing that you could say about the Boondock Saints is that in a lot of ways there's there's a lot of good there's a lot of a lot of context to to the film and a lot of stuff that is interesting from a political discussion and you know the film does certainly have a point because as we talked about um, Duffy did have a a driving impetus to telling the story right but I think it kind of the. A lot, of the, a lot of the subtext that we've been talking about is very much on the subtext level. It's, right. it's very much a style film. Yeah. Um, because, again, um, this is around the same time as The Matrix. Um, style was very important in the late 90s for this kind of action film. Um, substance, not as much. Although The Boondock Saints, I think, is very well known because it does work the substance into it. But there is—it is very much, well, we can let some irregularities into the movie in terms of in terms of realism, because we're also trying to a we're trying to make a point, but b we want it to look cool.
1: Yeah, and that and that is it. It's it's a cool film, mm-hmm. and that's what most people recognize it as. Just yes. like it's fun, it's cool. Um, it satisfies people's indulgence in wanting to see vigilantism. That's that's a big thing in film. People really yeah. want to see that in film and in comic books and books in general. Well, I think people, I think people want to see.
0: Everybody fantasizes to a certain extent, I think, about getting away with things that are are not going to actually work out in real life. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's why we. In, in like in movies, we enjoy like bank heists, and m- m- we enjoy spy thrillers. We enjoy um, westerns, but we also enjoy like romantic movies because these are things Which,
1: that uh, also things that are not going to happen. Right. Exactly. In real life. <laughs> exactly.
0: But that's the thing that we like to see. We like we like a uh, fantasy. There's, there's a human need for escapist material.
1: Oh yeah. Well, I mean that's the whole point of film. Really, right. is to escape your actual life.
0: Right. Um so so the idea of vigilantism though is very appealing because I think a lot of people see that there's a lot wrong with the world. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people look at what's wrong with the world and they can't see any kind of way to get out, away from what's wrong. What is system systematically wrong. Um, I recently heard that a lot of people in the in the west identify poverty with a lack of money, mm-hmm. but people who are suffering poverty in like uh, Africa, Asia, India, those places like that, see poverty as a lack of choice, you know, a, a lack of ability to improve their lives, mm-hmm. um, and and it's it's not necessarily that money gives choice because there are there are ways that you could improve your life outside of that, but they just can't find any way to escape what has actually gone wrong in their lives and film a lot of times is that same type of thing well these people are rebelling against what society says is normal or what is what is the way that things are supposed to be the status quo is being shattered so that then these people have a choice that are no longer that is not available to us as the normal film viewer interesting
1: insight um, a few other things because we're running low on time mm-hmm. that I just want to throw out there. Um, one thing I thought that was funny is uh, at the hotel where all the dead mafiosos are, um, the FBI and police officers have drinks yeah. on the job. They oh, just yeah. like sit down and start having drinks. Weird, kind of kind of funny too. Though I was just like, what is going on here? Well, it's like
0: you see an open bar and you're going in, It's covered by insurance anyway, so and blood.
1: It's and, covered in blood. <laughs>
0: oh did you did you notice the scene where where William uh, where smeckers wearing the gloves but his hands are covered in in the
1: blood of a victim and he just runs his hands through his hair uh no okay now that you say that I think I can remember that but it didn't really strike me at the time
0: yeah it, to me it was just something that was like
1: that's interesting well that may have been a part of his unraveling Yeah. Another thing I wanted to throw out is when he shows up as a woman mm-hmm. at the end to help with distraction. Dude looks like a lady. Yeah, for the um for the guys for the saints, um and he first of all he doesn't at all look like a convincing woman, and the guys convinced that that is a woman. Like he, he doesn't look like it at all.
0: Well, either the either the guy's convinced or he has
1: something he's not telling the other the other mafiosi's. Right. Well, but he was surprised when when Smekker's uh, wig came off. Yeah, but another great thing is that's a good scene. Like when they show him uh, Smekker grab the gun and it's the slow motion and he shoots the guy and like the expression on his face. Slow motion's used very well in this film. I really really enjoy all the slow motion they did. Um, but then another really great touch to that whole thing is after Smekker kills the guy and he just goes too far, too far.
0: It's, it's like he's just
1: like, uh-oh, you know, I am in it now. I I yeah. I can't return. Like, I, I'm at that point where I can't turn back. Yeah. And then that's where you get the lead-up to the very end of the film where, you know, they basically help the saints get into the trial of Iacoveta so that they can execute him in front of people and make them witness to the vigilanteism and say, you know, we're the new order here, and this is what happens when you're a scumbag in Boston. Yeah. This is what you get. So, And then also, the very, very end of the film with the credits, how they're having people interviewed about how they feel about the Saints, and some people are like, that's terrible, they're just killing. You know, How are they not the same as these people who are killing? And then you have the other people who are like, oh, it's great, I'm ready to get involved. And my favorite is the guy in the business suit who's just like, I'm ready. I'm ready to get busy. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. that's the funniest one. But I thought that was interesting how they're – presenting both sides of the argument of mm-hmm. like, okay, now you watch this whole film about vigilanteism and I'm sure you felt satisfied with it. But then here are these people being interviewed and it's like, some people are like, well, that's terrible. And other people's are, people are like, that's great. So, but that said, I, I would like to say that a good counterpoint to this film to see the other side of revenge and vigilanteism uh, would be something we talked about before. The, Revenge trilogy by Chamwook Park uh, out of South Korea, Um, Old Boy, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, and Lady Vengeance. Those paint a very different um, portrait of revenge and vigilanteism.
0: Well, and what they do is they. Those three movies really show the negative aspects that revenge has on the person who is actually enacting it. Right. You know, which I think is more realistic because I think. Really, honestly, the idea of seeking revenge destroys the person's soul to a certain extent. Because you can either live your life as a vindictive person and have your life sour around you, or you can let go of the, of, you know, the wrongs that other people have done and not necessarily forgive them, but not let it sour your life and, and, and curdle
1: your life into one horrible moment. Yeah. Um, another uh, two films I also want to... Um recommend in the same kind of vein and they're superhero related but it's um it's kind of a good mix of like fun vigilanteism, but some real life consequences Mm -hmm. involved and kind of more realistic too uh the kick-ass movies um which by the way i just saw the second kick-ass movie Mm -hmm. about a week ago and the first one i i enjoyed and the second one i actually thought was even better than the first one, and have, it's darker. I have not actually seen the Kick-Ass movies. Oh, you, okay. You should come over sometime, and we will watch them because I own the first one, and the second one is on demand for um, one of the movie channels that I have. So, okay. uh, I love. I thought the second one was great. Uh, they did a really good job. I think they outdid the first one. And Jim Carrey's in the second one. I heard that he his character it. is really dark. Yeah, a really dark character, and he plays it so well. Like, it's, it's a different version of Jim Carrey. Got a lot of respect for that guy. He does an, uh, an outstanding Well,
0: job. yeah, if you think Jim Carrey is just a comedy actor... no, nope. No, oh my gosh. He has such
1: a range that people don't know about. Perfect example is Kick-Ass too. what yeah. he does in that. Uh, but about comedy, there's a lot of comedy in, in Boondock Saints, too. There's a lot of humor in it, yeah. And that's something you need for such heavy material, so...
0: Uh, Johnny, thank yeah. you so much for suggesting such a, a strong movie. Um, it is a very popular movie. Um, very. Our, our personal tendencies are to drift towards the more esoteric and independent film. Uh, so we always do appreciate when people give us like the blockbusters to review so that we can kind of get a little bit back on track with with. with uh, something that everybody
1: can enjoy as well. Although Boondock Saints wasn't really a blockbuster film, it's you no. know it was a cult following film, and that's how it became so recognized and so um, popular. Yeah. So a little different, but um, would you like me to start? Sure, with go ahead. Review? This movie is fun. Um, it's really pleasing to watch. The cinematography is very good. Uh, the script was tight. The writing was really good. The directing was uh, very creative. I think they used a lot of good concepts, like we said. You know, showing the crime scene and then going back and showing how things happened, and then at one point putting those two things together. Uh, slow motion was used extremely well. Um, the music was awesome yes. and very well used. The acting is great, especially from Willem Dafoe. Honestly, minor issues with the film. There's really not much terrible stuff I can say about it, except maybe you know the message of vigilanteism is a little rough, and yeah. and also the um, the message of, you know, God willing the vigilanteism to happen is a little sc- screwed up, too, but um, it's a film. It's, in my opinion, fantasy, basically. Uh, overall, as a film, I'd, I'd give this four out of five stars. I enjoyed it. I thought it was well done. Yeah. Um, okay, so... You hit on a lot of great points. Uh,
0: the film is very well directed, especially for a first time director um, who has not had a success getting any other projects off the ground uh, as outside of Boondock Saints 2. Um, I thought that the, the acting really was saved by, um, by Will and Defoe. Sean Patrick Flannery and Norman Reedus both did a great job. Yes. Uh, but their characters are very much straightforward characters compared to smeckers. Yeah. So um so while they're fun, they they're also not as memorable as smeckers is um for better or for worse. Uh so I I think that the acting is good, I love the music and, you know, the touchstone mo- moments of the film with with smeckers essentially just unraveling are is iconic uh to in cult film cinematography. Um so there's a lot of good stuff here. I like the movie for what it is, but I don't think it, I don't think that the message um, is portrayed as well by the movie as it could have been. And a lot of the rough edges and how El Duce's character is ha- handled at the end was just kind of like, oh, we're just going to shoehorn this in for another right. fun character and everything like that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give
1: it three stars. Okay. So three and a half for the podcast. Mm -hmm. That is a good showing. Yeah. Um, Awesome. Thank you so much, Johnny Grove. You are the man. And if anyone out there wants to be like Johnny and get their uh, film reviewed and analyzed immediately, pretty much, you may do so by giving us a um, rating review through iTunes or any other form. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you do it... Um, just send us an email and let us know that you did it, and yeah. uh, give us whatever recommendation you have for for the a Netflix streaming film that we can review for you. Yeah.
0: Well, I think that pretty much wraps us up at this point. If you want to co- contact us, of course, you can go ahead and email us. Uh, you can go to our website MostExcellentMovieNight.com, dot uh, com. Contact us through the uh, the forms there. Facebook. Uh, if you want to go ahead and like us on Facebook, there's not a whole lot of activity, but every once in a while, people will comment on the different episodes. Um, share them with your friends, especially if it's a movie that you really enjoy, or if it's a um, if we get a chance to review one of your the movies that you suggest, uh, and you share it on your wall.
1: That helps us out quite a bit, actually. Um, I'd like to see maybe on like Facebook if if someone would like comment on a post and and get a, like a really interesting kind of in depth yeah Uh, discussion going about one of the films or all of them you know anyone listening be that person give us some some interesting stuff that maybe we didn't think about about the film that you can start a conversation on and um if you know if you do we might be able to chime in on that. absolutely absolutely
0: all right well thank you
1: very much for listening we hope you have a great week You've been listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night.
0: Our theme music was provided by Sweet Wave Audio. To find more royalty-free music for your own projects, check out sweetwaveaudio.co.uk.
1: And special thanks to Ariana Ramos for her graphic design savvy helping us with our album art.
0: Visit our website at mostexcellentmovienight.com to listen to
1: other episodes,
0: give us your opinion, and share with us other movies you'd like to have reviewed.
1: You can also contact us through our email address, mostexcellentmovienight.com. At gmail.com. We would love to read them on the air.
0: Also, if you could rate and review the podcast on iTunes, we would be your friends for life.
1: For sure. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to Carlin and Jordan's Most Excellent Movie Night. Where movies are most excellent.
0: This has been a Nerd Circle Podcast production.